Welcome to another episode of Top Lines and Tales, your weekly livestock podcast. And as always, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harborough, for their continued support. This week on the podcast, we're talking to a man who needs little introduction from up there in Turriff in Aberdeenshire, top breeder of sheep and cattle and all sorts, and a mine of information. And it's a pleasure to talk to uh, to Bruce Mayer. Welcome to the podcast, Bruce. And uh, Bruce, just tell me a little bit about uh, the, the the Mayer's family there at Muresk. There, when did uh, when did you first move up to Turriff? Uh, we moved to Turriff in early forties, nineteen forty-one. Okay. I believe Kinermit there is a dairy farm primarily, isn't it, or was? Yes, I was. Dairy, it was a dairy farm until just quite recently. Uh-huh. It was the main enterprise at the farm. And, and for for those listeners that don't know the Turriff area, some fantastic land up there in Aberdeenshire will grow anything, but uh, it'll grow grass, that's for sure, won't it? Yes, I, it's a, a fertile area, and, uh, a lot of mixed farms. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and the dairy cattle there would be Frisians originally, would it? it was originally Frisians, and uh, we changed over to Holsteins uh, uh, in the early sixties. Uh-huh. From there on, sort of built up a Holstein herd. That's right, and a very successful, very successful Holstein herd it was as well. Used to get out and show those Holsteins and win a lot of prizes. I remember. Yes, I attended most of the local shows and. Also, the Royal Highland mm-hmm. had a stiff competition in those days. There's a lot of dairy herds, Aberdeenshire as well as wider range of Scotland, but uh, uh, with reasonable success at the shows over the years. You're a, you're a modest man. I know you had lots of success there, and uh, a lot of people, of course, will know the, the name of Muresk there from Suffolk. And uh, I think it was the 50s, maybe, when you first got into Suffolk Sheep, would it be, Bruce? Oh, we went into Suffolk and uh, along with my brother Kenny, we started in the mid fifties, I think, nineteen fifty-five. Uh, bought a group of sheep from the big flock in England, Ashbalking flock, and started with a few ewes from there, and gradually expanded. The, the sheep uh, would be a lot different back then, uh, um, Bruce, wouldn't they? Uh, They'd be a different type back then. Oh, yes. Uh, there's, there's been a big change in type over the years. Uh, uh, the early years were lighter than the bone, the suffix, and gradually they developed more bone. Uh, maybe to some extent uh, it went too far in that direction. But it, it, it's it's known that that Aberdeenshire area there will grow bone, that Turriff area there will grow bone better than maybe a lot of places. Yes, uh, there was a, a, a group of well-known flocks in Aberdeenshire in those days and uh, very stiff competition. <laughs> and of course, yeah. you, there was a whole band of you, as you said, in that Aberdeenshire area had pretty much control on the Suffolk going back, ah. certainly going into the 80s. Jimmy Wilson, we've had on this program, and Jimmy Douglas, and, and, and a few of you there had a, had a good hand on, on the on the Suffolks. Ah, there was a five or six uh, leading frocks, uh, uh, very stiff competition. Uh, annually, one down annually to the Royal Showground, to the National Show, and then the following week to Edinburgh. Uh, the show and sale there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Twelve-hour journey down to Stoneleigh, <laughs> but it, uh, it was usually worthwhile. It certainly was. Uh, even in those days, way back, uh, the 
the float load of sheep often grossed over 100,000, so it was a worthwhile journey. <laughs> it certainly is. And I'm going to mention another Wilson. I mentioned um, Jimmy Wilson, but uh, Robbie Wilson, I think, came to work for you as a shepherd in the early 80s, I would say. Yes, uh, he was uh, uh, began his career at Canervet as a shepherd, and uh, from there on, uh, he eventually acquired the tenancy of a neighbouring farm, and uh, <clears throat> he's one of the best-known breeders of Suffolk's and in the present time also of Texels. That's right. Uh, he's, he's sold his uh, Suffolk's a few years ago dispersed and to concentrate on Texels. Yeah, and of course he's well well uh, known to a, well known to many a, of us. Of course, an eye for a good animal and allied to a appetite for hard work, and he's also been a teacher to a lot of aspiring breeders over the years. A lot of young Irishmen did their apprenticeship work with Robbie at uh, the present uh, Lakeview flock. For one, it was one example. For, uh, others I could mention as well, mm-hmm. uh, thriving in Ireland at the present day and uh, no doubt learned a lot of the tricks from Robbie. Yeah, that would be right. And you're right, Ireland is a hotbed of good Suffolk's these days. Most of the good Suffolk flocks are over that side. And uh, a credit to yourself as well. There'll be some of your, some of Muresque breeding will have gone over there as well, of course, and uh, to get these boys set up. Yes, I. But we go into the Suffolk's. I think you... By the time I kind of remember in there into the early 90s anyway, you'd, you'd broken records regularly, I think 20,000 in 1992, and a top average there, I think, of about 8,000. That's starting to come to a lot of money there by then, Bruce. Yes, I equated the modern times. It was big money in the early 90s. I sometimes historically refer to these years as the glory years. Mm. Uh, several big, 1995 was the, possibly the pinnacle uh, a sheep made sixty. Suffolk made sixty-five thousand, and a Texel thirty-three thousand. So that's right. Uh, that's, 90, that's nineteen ninety-five. That's well, uh, 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 almost almost thirty years ago. So getting that way, but I mean that multiple. that sheep was was of course was Mures King of Diamonds, and he wasn't just a top price sheep, but a hell of a yes, top hell no, of a breeder, uh, wasn't he? That's correct. Uh, it was bought by Kearnes at the. The Texel was <clears throat> bought by a uh, well-known Texel, uh, Texel breeder uh, at Glenside, mm-hmm. uh, uh, John Forsyth, yep, yep. did well in his flock. So we'll go on to the Texels in a minute, but uh, just sticking with the Suffolks there, you would have, as I said, been in control, and you'd go down and show at the Highland Show, and uh, you'd have won the Highland Show uh, any amount of times, uh, Bruce, with Suffolks. Yes, I did. did for several years, the Mures Flock won several championships at the Royal Highland and uh, different sheep. Uh, weren't all high-priced sheep. Uh, uh, possibly in the, in the Suffolk world in the early years, uh, the animal, the animal that uh, did most for the flock and did quite a lot for the breed was a. Uh, Sheep called Southmore Sterling. Okay. It was bought for 130 pounds at Kelso, and uh, uh, grew into a magnificent animal, just a late maturing animal. And uh, a neighbouring breeder was paying 200 quid a straw. That's way back, and he was well thought of. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
uh, was a daughter, a daughter, a daughter of that sheep bred uh, uh, then record price sheep Muresk president which made it 8,000 okay. <clears throat> at the time that was the then breed record mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, lucky, lucky purchase uh, the breeder was John Moore's football fo- uh, Oh, of the, of the football pools, yes, of course. Sir John Moores, I know yes, that. He, uh, I yes, know that he uh, uh, as an able man was John, wasn't he? Was in Angus Cattle as well, of course, and uh, known. And, yes, and it, I, guys, a lot of a lot of success in that sphere. And, and his brother, of course, would yeah. have been his brother or his cousin would have been at Bapton with with the with the Shorthorns as well. So a well known, a well known yes, family. Yes, uh, they did well in the Shorthorn world that the Bapton held. Mm-hmm. Uh, the same family. Yeah, yeah, and I'm going to mention a you, a Suffolk you that you had called K79. Uh, um, it'll be a while back now, I believe, the uh, Bruce. But uh, she'd be a sheep that uh, left you some some good families. Yes, it bred that, that particular you. Uh, it's buried at Canermit, and I think it's a big cherry tree in its grave. And <laughs> the time it uh, bred a succession of high-priced animals. Mm-hmm. I think it, the overall total was well in the six-figure range. And yeah. then that's going back quite a number of years. I think uh, the progeny grossed well over 150,000 from that one U. One U, yeah. Uh, just there was different click with most sires that was used on it. Mm-hmm. And there wouldn't be a lot of embryo transfer, not back in those early days. That wouldn't be like the boys now flushing 100 embryos out of her. This most would be naturally bred. Didn't she live till she was about 10 years old, if I remember right? Yes, that's correct. Uh, no, there's no no ET work uh, in those days. It was just natural, natural uh, breeding. Yeah, yeah. Uh, did eventually graduate uh, ET work through the uh, pioneer in that sphere, John Robinson the, of the Rowett. Of course, and he yeah. introduced us. And, uh, he was one of the early pioneers in that field. John Robertson has been on this podcast and a very clever man that he was and I know he, he worked with you very closely with your early Suffolk's on the, on the nutritional side of it as well of course it very much involved in Harborough who was sponsored this podcast. Ah that's correct I did a lot of pioneer work and uh, a very modest man but as you already stated there's a, a genius mm-hmm. in his own field and very persistent and uh, in the early days, when there was a Ram Bridgestone Titanic that sadly didn't work naturally, uh, hence the name, but uh, he, John worked on it through AI work, and eventually he did a lot of pioneer work with the Ram, and uh, he was success, proved to be a success in that field. Otherwise, it would have been a total write-off. <laughs> And you did a bit of work, of course, with the, who used to be my neighbour, John Sinnett, down in the south there. John came into the swim, getting in amongst you Aberdeen boys, trying to shake it up there. But uh, John did fairly well. I think you bought a few tups back off him over the years. Oh, yes. Uh, he was, I was a lot of cross-dealing with John. Uh, uh, as you already stated, he's one of the premier breeders in England. And... Uh, Reciprocal work with a lot of success with some of his sheep, and uh, uh, hopefully he'd similar success with some of ours. I think he bought one of the best sheep, in my opinion, that was ever bred in the Suffolk world. 
and his day was a sheep that was suitably named Yeresk Austin Martin. Uh-huh. That uh, John you uh, bought in partnership with the Printed Flock. Mm-hmm. And uh, uh, did, a, did a lot of good work down there. It's uh, a record price, 20000 at the Kelso sales. Mm-hmm. In those days, mm-hmm. yeah, no, it, no, tremendous that, that he did. And as I said, you bought a you bought a few sheep back with him, Bruce. I'm gonna. I just want to talk to you a little bit about line breeding. I remember you doing a talk to the Suffolk breeders, I think, in the northeast about how you line bred these sheep, and it's something that fascinates me. That you, I seem to remember that you kept the Suffolks in sort of three families. Can you tell me a little bit more how, how that sort of worked for you? I occasionally we tried experimentally. Uh, put a, a mated a Suffolk ram with one of his best daughters and uh, to be perfectly honest uh, there was a sheep bridged on Blenheim and uh, uh, he bred a son a son uh, uh, I called him uh, Mires Double Blenheim he was a splitting image of the father made quite a reasonable price two or three thousand at the time one of the pitfalls of that type of breeding uh, wouldn't divulge at the time was that uh, uh, this double Blenheim had a twin brother that was hopeless, hopelessly deformed at birth. Mm-hmm. So the, that's the danger if you line breed. Uh, there's always a danger that uh, uh, kind of some of the negative factors uh, come out. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't, I wouldn't, uh, well, most of the societies now try to religiously avoid line breeding. Well, it, there's but line breeding. It maybe depends how close you breed them, because a couple of generations down, yes, I uh, think, bring it, uh, bringing it back. Correct. Uh, in, in most breeds, uh, especially some of the minority breeds, there's, uh, there's uh, too much line breeding, in my opinion, and the, the breed societies now try to avoid that. Uh, complex equations which I don't personally understand but especially a textile society you know, I reckon they're going in the right direction to avoid it mm-hmm. same with the Holsteins as well yeah and you and you did disperse the Suffolk flock um, was it 2004 or 5 when you dispersed the Suffolks away yes well I we actually divided the enterprise a few years prior to that around 2000 uh, I, I took part of the business, Texel sheep at that time, and my brother Kenny carried on with Suffolk for several more years. Again, with quite a lot of success, the early 2000s. And, and, and they dispersed, dispersed the flock, I think it was around 2005. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, quite and, a lot of money at the time. And there would be a flock there, which confused me a little bit, a Deverndale flock. So did they start them under another prefix? Is that still Mayor's, uh, still mayor's breeding with the Deverndale flock with the Suffolks? Uh, Deveren, with the Suffolks, I think, uh, Deverend side. Huh. Uh, Deverend side was the Holstein prefix. Okay. And uh, uh, that was the prefix they used with uh, by the Holsteins. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, uh, and Devren, no, Deverndale was another neighbouring flock. Okay, okay. That's cleared that up. And of course, the Devon being the river that runs through the, through Tariff there. Yes, I correct. Canermit, uh, 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 the home farm is just in the banks of the river Devon. That's right. 
That's right. And, and, and as you mentioned, the Texels there, you went into the Texels. When the job, yeah, obviously you could see that the Texels were starting to come and you guys went into the Texels and uh, made a big splash fairly early on with your Texels. Oh, we went into uh, commercial sheep at the time and we saw that the Texels were on the, uh, the crest of the wave. I think the year was 1989. Decided to go in for Texels at that point. Uh, the leading breeder of the time was uh, Keith still to, for a lesser extent now is Keith Jimison. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He had a he had a waiting list for buyers, so we, we bought sheep from various flocks down in Lanarkshire, mm-hmm. just a selection of ewe lambs and uh, uh, one or two of them non-starters, of course. But I think there was two families emerged from that initial group of purchases, some of whom for, uh, were from the, the Clarks. Uh, they were at the fore at the time. And uh, Warnock, uh, Jim, they're both, both well-known breeders over the years. Of course. The, uh, that was some of the original female stock. Mm-hmm. And both, both uh, Jimmy Warnock and, and the Clarks have been on this podcast in the past and top breeders, as you yes, say. I, and, and then... I, I and there would be a ram that did you a lot of good earlier on, be a ram called Baltier Winston. I think he, he came to your... Uh, 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 that's, that's correct. Uh, we bought that ram, uh, ram uh, from Robert Forsyth, Baltier, and uh, in partnership with uh, other flocks, Willie Knox, Midhadu, a neighbouring flock. He did, did a power of good at the time. Uh, exactly... Unknown to us, and a stroke of luck, he was ARR, ARR. That stood us in good stead as well. Mm-hmm. It was basically some of his uh, daughters that uh, bred some of the leading rams that emerged from the flock in those early years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I think the ram cost around 9000 but by modern standards was a bargain at the time yes yes and you mentioned you had a sheep at uh, 33,000 of course that was Muresk Blondin a record breaker and uh, again he went to a good home didn't he yes uh, he was Blondin was bred from one of the best daughters of Bartier Winston Mm -hmm. Uh, he was by Keith Jemison kindly loaned us a sheep on in 101 a sheep from uh, Keith that wasn't 100% fertile, and being a generous man, he loaned us 101. It was one of his best rams at the time, and he was the father of Mires Blondin. Mm-hmm. I remember 101. Yeah, he, remember yeah. 101. He was a very good. He was a very good breeder for you and and quite a few people. I think there was a lot of semen. Yes, uh, semen used of him. He did well. He did well within the, oh, the Arnon flock as well at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. I, now, he was responsible for quite a few better sheep that emerged in the flock in the years that followed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And then I'm going to go on to move on a little bit to a ram called Craighead Hercules. And of course, that was in the foot and mouth year. And you guys all clubbed together, made another record yes. record price for him. Uh, uh, that's correct. Uh, there was, I think the sale was at uh, the, the hotel in Lanark. It was during the foot and mouth campaign. And, formed a syndicate at the time and uh, cost 50000 Again, he emerged as one of the 
three potent sheep of his generation. We went round, uh, studied, went round uh, several flocks at the time, and uh, he was certainly an asset to the breed in general. Mm-hmm. Developed and uh, mature, I uh, tremendous ram. I think one of the most successful Texels of all time, probably. And did you see him as a lamb? Did you go down there to, to Alan Cullen's and see him as a lamb and that's where you bought him? Or did you just buy him on the videos? No, we went down to the farm personally and saw the sheep. And, yeah, and he was head and shoulders above the other animals of his generation. Uh, <clears throat> at the time... Tremendous all-round sheep. Mm-hmm. Certainly, I, I'm studying the history of the Texels at the moment for a book that's coming out. And uh, yeah, as I said, Craig at Hercules comes up there. It's probably one of the most successful breeders of all time. Bred, I don't know how yes, many uh, thousands of pounds worth off him, but certainly a lot. Anyway, did you got his, you got your money back? I, I would certainly endorse that opinion. Yes. Uh-huh. And then another top ram again. I remember you guys buying. I think it was Top Hill Joe. And he was 120000 another record price, but I think you were pushed by a syndicate of boys. By that time, there might be five or six of you bought that ram. Was there quite a few, anyway? Yes, I was a very stylish ram. But, again, looking back, uh, it, uh, possibly the modern standards, it, when he matured into a mature ram, he didn't have the scale that the modern Texel has. Mm-hmm. And he was... As a mature ram, he's limited in size, and you, you didn't compare, uh, in my opinion, with Craig Head Hercules. And so at the time, he sired a lot of stylish sheep. Mm. We had one or two decent ones, but to be honest, uh, that was the era of ARR, ARR. Mm-hmm. And uh, bad luck, uh, one or two good rams that year, but they were. ARR, ARH, mm-hmm. ARQ, and mm-hmm. instead of being 10,000, a ceiling of 1,000 of a ram was in that category. You're right. And for my- it started the market, mm-hmm. it started the textile market, in my opinion. Uh, there was a lot of good genetics lost at the time uh, by the rams with the uh, unpopular genotype mm-hmm. that naturally had to. Uh, used in a limited scale or discarded altogether. And you're right, for our listeners that don't understand those numbers, that, of course, was the scrapey gene when they were trying to eliminate the disease of scrapey. And as you said, it uh, a lot of the animals okay, a lot of the animals good. fell into category I, two and got, and, and got lost, John. Yes, I did. It's certainly a progressive move, and it's come into fashion again more recent years, especially within the Suffolk breed. Mm-hmm. If a Suffolk ram is not the ARR, ARR at the present day, it's again only of commercial value. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. And, and no matter how good all round confirmation it has. And I'm going to mention another Bruce, and that'd be Bruce Rennick. And Bruce Rennick came up again. Came up. I think he worked at. Did he do a year maybe with Keith Jameson? Then he came up to work with you as well, and and, and then married into the family, Bruce. Yes, I. I he came up and uh, originally met him. I was down <coughs> down uh, buying Holstein heifers in Coo Market, and he was there with his father that day, and. He was looking for a job up north where he might broaden his experience and that sort of set the seed going. And he came up and worked at Canabit for 
quite a period of time at the time. Mm-hmm. And uh, tremendous enthusiasm for peregrine sheep. And as you just stated, his subsequent years he's had, he had a lot of success within the breed. Uh, and he's also a son at present. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, it's very keen and continue the tradition. Okay, and of course the Castle Cairn flock, as you said, became one of the top flocks in the country, hitting some big prices, 40s and forties and £50,000. And and I believe that you you would have worked together with some flushing by that time. You're doing a bit of embryo work with those. And, and uh, I remember reading a paper that you'd written for the Texel Journal about how the flushing, some of these flushing ewes had all of a sudden started to make some serious, uh, uh, reap some serious rewards. Yes, uh, there was one in particular, uh, uh, a you a star you at uh, I think we bought in partnership by my, my son Colin and Bruce Rennick and flushed the you and uh, I think he had more success than we had. We generated quite a lot of money at the time, uh, a joint flushing program, and again it's. Sort of early days, but that technology, of course, has gathered pace over the years, and virtually all the leading textile rabs of today are born through ET work. Mm-hmm. And that you particularly, what, did she not come from Dugan Hill, if I'm right? Was she GCK 9996? I've got written down here. Would that be the one you're talking about, uh, Bruce? I think that's that, that's the one that you're referring to, yes. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she certainly went on and left hundreds of thousands of pounds worth of progeny, if I remember right, certainly for, for Castle Ken. So the Texels went well for you, but then you dispersed the Texels after after a while. By that time, I think, Bruce, you'd gone into, into Beltex, but you dispersed the Texel flock. Uh, what was the reason for that, can, can you tell me? Well, my son, my son Colin, uh, and he was involved in dairy farming and, uh, at the time, uh, Texels of that farm, it, his main farm, mineral deficient. And quite honestly, uh, even with the best management uh, at the time, uh, slightly deficient as a band of land, deficient in copper and cobalt in particular. Modern world, it's been rectified uh, through minerals. You couldn't actually compete in a level playing field, for instance, with our neighbour Willie Knox, share of rams, and Willie's came to sales. Willie's rams with similar management were twice the size, and Colin got slightly disillusioned and uh, profit margins declining, so he decided just uh, to just, uh, disperse the entire flock and Quite a successful dispersal at the time. I think it grossed around two hundred thousand mm-hmm. at the dispersal. Mm-hmm. And when was that? Uh, I, 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 I've quite cheap myself, and mm-hmm. by that time I doubled it along with a friend, the late Jock Allen, doubled with Beltex. So I kept a nucleus of Beltex and expanded from there on. They do quite well in the same land and with proper mineral nutrition uh, thrive quite well. I remember you coming to, to our farm to see you and Keith Jameson came to the farm shortly after Foot and Mouth and uh, to look at the Beltex there. I think you might have bought a couple off my father, if I remember right. 
Yes, I was, I was down at the, some of the initial processes on your own neck of the woods. Uh, I went. I remember a trip I had out to your father's farm uh, from uh, down selling sheep at Wooster. And mm-hmm. I think from memory, I bought a couple of ewe lambs and some of the initial stock uh, I bought at the time to build up the up the mm-hmm. Beltex, but. Uh, with Beltex, there's you know, a lot of disasters behind the scenes. Uh, these two yule lambs developed into two good animals, to be dead honest. For both disasters, the end. One went on to its bark during the night. By morning, the foxes had ripped out its udder. The second one, was very good you actually. An apprentice vet was doing a caesarean. Uh, trainee vet and sadly hit a, an artery he was dead within 10 minutes. I think we managed to get out two lambs alive but it just shows the, the pitfalls, disappointments that hit all breeders naturally most of them are kept below the carpet but that was two examples <laughs> still clear in my mind <laughs> there'll be plenty more uh, can you tell me what rams that you use that influence your, your flock there it's the Aviemore Beltex flock that you have and what rams did you use that sort of influence them because you went on and, and did well with the with the Beltex ah, well uh, the, the ram it, uh, the, the most positive influence uh, was uh, a ram at the first prize as a a ram lamb at the Highland course then Whistler mm-hmm. developed into a massive mature ram that uh, we share this as most most breeders in the Beltex world do with two breeders in Orkney but again uh, tragedy struck quite early in his career uh, during the breeding season up in Orkney the fight with a, uh, another ram and <clears throat> brain damaged brought his career to premature end, but that ram left a lot of good stock uh, throughout the flock and also the Arcadian flocks as well. Uh Again, that's just, again, showing the pitfalls. (laughs) Uh, You're being very honest with us. Not everybody comes up with that honesty, but you're right. Sometimes they can come. There's other rams that have a positive influence. Uh, Bought rams from... uh, uh, the famous breeder, breeders Neil and Janet McQuiston, Airy Holland, a Ram, we Jimmy, and another one, Avicii. He only died last year at eight years old. They both had a positive influence in the flock, uh, as they did also up in Orkney. And uh, more recently, the, the Ram, it's been a staple. But apart from our flock, uh, the famous Woody's flock uh, and others as well is used throughout the breed is uh, Bailey Brook CR7 again he goes back to Ariel and bloodlines on the female side I lost you but to use the ram heavily with disappointments with other rams. You you bought a ram you bought a ram last year for 30,000 was he okay Fockhill Godfather? Yes, I again that illustrates some of the disappointments. The ram's still as healthy and fresh as ever, but with a total disaster uh, breeding wise during the he wouldn't cooperate during the AI. Uh, 
tried several occasions, and uh, fellow breeder Jim Young was a genius with handling sheep. He luckily managed to get the ram to cooperate and left stock at Jim's farm. It, uh, I think we managed to get one ewe and lamb to him. That was it. Uh, hopefully, he's still alive, so okay. we might have a final, final uh, throw of the dice this year. And did uh, he's, a, he's a very attractive ram, and he's uh, fit and uh, looks as healthy as ever. But just again shows the fact that it, uh, especially with AI work, ET work, it's hit or miss. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you get a harvest of embryos, and other times. Uh, very poor results. And again, this is a similar facet throughout the breed. <laughs> yeah, right. And you share him, I think, with Ross and Kirsty Williams, who uh, have moved up. They'd be neighbours of yours somewhere by there. Yes, yeah, so they, they've also shared this Fog Hill Ram. And, uh, I haven't spoken to Ross or Kirsty recently. But I think they had uh, limited success as well uh, as far as the breeding, uh, during the breeding season. So, He'll get a final throw of the dice this year during the breeding season. No doubt Jim Young might come up with a decent lamb at, uh, at the forthcoming sales down at Carlisle. Mm-hmm. Haven't seen Jim's lambs, but he, he's, as, as ever, he's very optimistic about them. Okay. And, and I was talking to you yesterday, and I believe you're sending, you're selling the entire crop of gimmers at Carlisle there, and we should tell people that the, the Beltec sale at Carlisle is the middle of August there. Did he said you got 40 or so going down there, Bruce? Uh, I would be there personally, but uh, my son, Colin, uh, uh, basically is growing quite a lot of cereals now. Uh, uh, malting barley in particular just the time element uh, the profitability factor this is common throughout the pedigree sheep world is in the decline with ever less escalating costs mm-hmm. so he's decided at this moment in time to reduce numbers and uh, instead of going around five or six sales the entire crop again as you've just noted they're going to Carlisle uh, on the 4th of August. Uh, hopefully it'll be a, a sale that'll attract a few buyers. The Lipley flock, who've two young breeders, very prominent, won the Great Yorkshire and won the Royal Highland, mm-hmm. of a selection of very good gunners, as has Grant Anderson, who's mm-hmm. uh, auctioneer, who's the top flight flock. Mm-hmm. And the uh, Ingrams, who are famous in Aberdeenshire, of a selection of gunners. So uh, it's an evening sale at Carlisle, and hopefully they might attract a few buyers. Also, we recognise the the demand uh, for uh, Beltex females over the last few years. The graph is in decline. Yeah. Uh, one of the reasons is the a lot of the hobby breeders uh, in recent years have orientated towards Dutch spotted uh, blue texels. Uh, various other important breeds, uh, it's their choice. But the Beltex females in particular, uh, saturation point. Uh, so hope we'll get, hope there's a reasonable sale at, <coughs> at Carlisle. But uh, again, going back to the 
more prolific years, uh, trade was better. We'll, we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. How many is in that sale, Bruce, just so our listeners can dial in and maybe have a bid online? The, it's, uh, it's an evening sale. There'll be on bidding, online bidding available. Again, uh, the givers from these other established flocks, uh, through word of mouth, have heard there's quite a good selection. Mm-hmm. Our, our lot includes Daughters of Bailey Brook, CR7, uh, Areola da Vici. There's quite a lot of well-known sires. A young sire, uh, Morton's Geronimo's bred very well with us. So we've... All told, there's quite a few attractive gamers within the offering, so how many? we just have to wait and see. And how many in the sale? How many in the sale, Bruce, altogether? There'll be about, uh, I think there'll be about between 80 and 90 gamers. We've 48, mm-hmm. and the other flocks have slightly smaller amounts, but there's, I haven't seen the final draft of the catalogue, but there'll be over 80 sheep mm-hmm. at the sale. It starts at a uh, in the early evening, 5.30, uh, to be precise, at Carlisle. Okay, okay. Uh, for Friday the 4th of August. Well, There's a plethora of sales this year, but it's one of the sales that uh, hopefully will attract a few potential buyers. And uh, for anybody entering the breed or expanding, the sheep will be at realistic prices, mm-hmm, okay. as opposed to what they were five, ten years ago when the breed were... Ex- breed was expanding. Okay, okay, okay. And and we'll move on to one more breed. I mentioned the Shorthorns earlier on, and now it's Kenny's grandson, I think, has now gone into yes, Shorthorns uh, and doing quite well. Very, that's correct. Uh, uh, my brother Kenny's grandson, he's also Kenny Mayer. Uh, he's a sister, Sally Mayer. Uh, they're very enthusiastic young breeders, and they're building up a short-term herd uh, uh, have done over the last four or five years. Mm-hmm. And, uh, success, some success, the Highland Show, and last week at the local New Year Show, their best cow was reserved champion. They've also uh, uh, a larger herd of, of uh, uh, stabilizers. Okay. Uh, that's uh, amongst their cattle enterprise. Okay. But uh, hopefully they'll. We've had some reasonable success uh, uh, selling some animals privately for fairly high prices and with the degree of enthusiasm they have and effort to put in, I'm sure they'll gain momentum the years to come. That's great. Great to see the Murex name coming forward again. And you're right, I was at the Shorthorn sale and some tremendous cattle. And I know a few Shorthorn breeders are all keeping their eye on young Kenny there. He seems to be certainly coming forward, continuing that good eye that uh, you mares all seem to seem to have, uh, that exceptional eye for, for livestock. Yes, I. Uh, I haven't seen the herd recently, but uh, any time I've asked Kenny, uh, oh, Junior, he's very very confident and enthusiastic, and uh, so I would predict that we'll have quite a bit of success in the years to come. And a nice fellow that he is too. Well, Bruce, it's, I, I wish you success with the sale of your Beltex Gimmers, and it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you after all these years. I've not seen you in a while, but I've, uh, you're a man I've always looked up to, and I think a lot of our oh. listeners would say the same. Ah, oh, well, congratulations yourself. You've certainly... Uh, developed uh, other avenues in your career since uh, <laughs> met you 20, 25 years ago. Uh-huh. Uh, 
So I didn't realise you'd such latent talent at the time. <laughs> uh, all every success, I you bring a lot of enjoyment through your podcasts, which I glad occasionally see and hear on mm-hmm. Facebook. Well, that's uh, that's very kind of you to say. So it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you, and uh, and we wish you all success in the future. Aye, right, thank you very much. Then. Well, thanks, thanks, Bruce. That's been super. Thank you for listening to this week's episode of Top Lines and Tales. And uh, we'd like to thank our sponsors, Harbro, for their continued support. And and don't forget that our guest this week, uh, Bruce Mayer, would have been one of the men who would be a pioneer behind the great range of feeds that Harbro developed, uh, where they really started in the sheep world until they expanded into the cattle, but of course the commercial world as well. So uh, don't forget that that Harbro have a a deep history in in, um, creating winners and feeding winners. And uh, look up Harbro on your on the internet or contact your local representative uh, where you can find uh, more information about their range of products. And while you're on the internet, don't forget to look up the Top Lines and Tales Facebook page and uh, please join in our community there where you'll find photographs and other information to back up this and previous episodes. And of course, please, if you're listening to this podcast, just click on the follow button on the podcast and then you'll get notified uh, whenever a new podcast is made available. So thanks for listening.